Hello, I'm Dr. Larry Dresdale. I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm on the Big Mouth Pharmacist podcast. My biggest pet peeve about New Year's resolutions is that people are so absolutely unrealistic with themselves about what they can do and should achieve. Calling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Boop, 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 boop. Happy New Year, everybody. New year, new decade, new you, baby. This is a new podcast, too. We've shaken it up a little bit here. How you feeling? Energized and ready for the new year? Or you like me dragging a little bit from the sugar and calories that have been taken out? You know, I got to say, it's okay to drag a little bit in the new year. I know a lot of people are trying to, like, pump themselves up. But, you know, it's tough. It's a hard thing to transition from winding down one year and then kind of relaxing on a couple nice holidays. And some people even have... Like me, I had a nice little vacation for a week and a half. It's just tough. It's hard to get back into the swing of things and be like, oh, now I got to do that all over again. Yeah, I get it. So allow yourself that little pain. You know, for the most part, it's time to put down the figgy pudding and the fruitcake. I think that uh, we've got to get back in, into gear. In fact, you know what? If you eat fruitcake, uh, you're not allowed to listen to the podcast anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, like I, I don't even I've never tried fruitcake and I don't even remember the last time I saw it outside of like a really bad like pharmacy where they have it in like a box bag pseudo thing, you know, whatever. But um, I had my moment last night. I uh, had a stare down, you know, it was me and the last chocolatey treat from the holidays. You know, you always have those lower tier choices in the house, but we've had like that gold standard for uh, a few weeks now, and it's just been abundant either at work or, or at home. And I just looked at it and I said, this is it, man. This is the last one. I'm back on the wagon today, eating my healthy food and, and not giving in to every craving every 12 seconds. And, you know, I feel good. No big deal. You know, I get an occasional twitch or a tear. No big whoop. I, I can get through it. How about it? Did you pick your resolutions? I hope you waited for this episode to do your resolutions because that's what we're talking about. If you've read any of my blogs over the past couple of years, you know that I have a love-hate relationship with resolutions. I get it. I know they're important, but the idea that you know we have to flip a switch and, you know, and live up to these crazy expectations, and that's the reason that we're here with Dr. Larry Dresdale again. He was one of the first interviewees of this podcast. We talked about mindfulness and meditation, and we're going to do that again today, but specifically, we're going to talk about resolutions. If you forgot who Dr. Dresdale is, he's a psychologist and mindfulness-based cognitive therapist. He's local to me. He's actually my guy. He's who I go to make sure that you know you have such a person in your life, whether it's some uh, guru you look to online, or if you need the formal therapy, don't hesitate and take advantage. Find a mindfulness-based cognitive therapist because they are excellent. So that's our featured conversation today, and if you remember from our recap at the end of the year last year, we're going to be changing it up a little bit. We're going to be doing some bits and pieces. Obviously, me going on and on about New Year's and singing to you is one part of that, but uh, we'll also be talking about Neil's Unhealthy Habits. I'll tell you about my resolutions this year. I figure that fits in really well with our conversation, and yeah, so uh, I look forward to like giving you a new feel for the podcast here. All right, so what is my New Year's resolution? Well, 
You know, I've already given up on 2020 because I screwed up. So 2021, though, that's going to be my year. No? All right. Well, my New Year's resolution is like a part A, part B. And of course, this is the thing with me. It's like, why can't you just have one thing? Why do you have a multiple? Why does everything have to be a bullet pointed list? So I believe that I have unrealistic expectations, very relevant to the conversation today. You can see where my motivation came from. And, you know, I set goals that are like, I think superhuman uh, to and just see can I get that done and it's cool and I but I think that it would be nice at my 40th year on earth to just chill a little bit the second kind of part to that and the motivating factor here in this resolution is the idea that I just had a vacation and I said to myself well I can get work done on vacation and so I think that's really the big thing the unrealistic expectation of doing work when I shouldn't be working and I should just be enjoying myself, that has to stop for me. So I think the the big goal for this year is setting better expectations and essentially boundaries. So if I'm not at the office, I'm I'm off, you know, or if it's a work day, let's pretend Monday through Friday is my day to work. Basically nine to nine, I'm working, you know, I'm going to get the work done. So that way on those days off, I can feel as though I'm not robbing my business or, or cheating you all out there. So, you know, it's like just creating that that structure for myself. So that's what my resolution is. I'd love to know what yours are. If yours are health and wellness related, visit woodstockvitamins.com slash consults and set up a 15 minute consult. I would love to help you with your journey. I will, you know, speaking from somebody that has done everything wrong in their life, I can help you uh, on your health and wellness path pretty easily. Nutrition and supplements and exercise and point you in the right direction and really kind of help be that that gatekeeper for your holistic care. You know, it's 15 minutes free. And then if you become a customer of ours, then it's free forever. So check that out. Otherwise, email me, podcast at woodstockvitamins.com, and we can talk about your resolutions and I can give you my thoughts on how to accomplish them. So with Dr. Dresdale, we're going to talk about resolutions. And, you know, everyone in wellness is talking about what shakes or diets you should do to make 2020, you know, a hashtagable year for you. And from my experience, when it comes to actually achieving goals, the advice and information in the world, which is, it's just all the same nonsense anyway, right? It's a distant second to the behavioral changes that have to take place. And specifically, it's these expectations. So, like, so resolutions set expectations for ourselves that are often unrealistic. And, you know, dealing with the unrealistic expectations and the daily failures of not meeting those expectations can take a heavy toll on us and stop us from getting stuff done. So here's Dr. Dresdale and I talking about this issue and what we can do to have a healthier, happier new year without all that baggage. So happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to you too. Isn't that cool how we can do that? We're not really recording after new year, but the people think we are. It's absolutely amazing. It is. It's like <laughs> time traveling. Whoa. So we're actually in the midst of the holiday season right now, and we're recording in anticipation of next month's new year's resolutions and such. And let's talk about first holiday stress, because I, I write a lot about that, um, because I think it gets a little wonky with people. Uh, I, I actually make fun of people often when they're like, oh, it's so stressful this time of year. And it's like, we're going to a bunch of parties and we're buying stuff for other people that we like, you know, <laughs> like right. what's so stressful about that, you know? So yeah, I mean, what do you have, what, what kind of thoughts do you have around holiday stress that you can share with us? Well, absolutely. I think a, a great deal of the stress that people experience is not about the actual events themselves, mm -hmm. but more about 
the attitudes, the expectations, the ideas of the thoughts they have mm-hmm. about it all. Yeah. So as you said, going to parties should be pretty enjoyable. Shopping for gifts for your friends and family should be pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Hanging out with your own family, maybe a little less, but can become <laughs> a lot more stressful depending on the attitude we bring to it. Yeah. So my experience is that the majority of people, when they're experiencing stress, is not from the actual event or, more importantly, the moment itself, Mm -hmm. but from the way that they're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, it's they have to get the perfect gift. They have to have the perfect party. They have to be perfectly dressed for the party they're going to, Mm -hmm. the perfect host, etc. And also the idea that of excess, you know, I hope I don't eat too much, which of course they will. <laughs> I have to get, oh, this person, this gift, and it's I'm going to spend a lot more than I really should be. Yeah. Or, you know, my kids won't be happy unless I buy them, you know, $5 million worth of toys. Yeah. Right. And so those attitudes and ideas that go unexamined create enormous amounts of stress. So you're saying this is self-induced. This is this is not, 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 not entirely, not entirely. Well, yeah, you're, I mean, your family sucks most of the time, right? You're, <laughs> my, my, family's, my family's great. My kids are great. My in-laws are awesome, you know? So, but, uh, you know, I've got that other thing going where there's like some stressors about the holiday season. Uh, but you know, um, I do believe that a lot of this is just people hyping themselves up. There is, there's a lot of, once again, expectation, you know, we've, grown up or maybe we used to grow up seeing Norman Rockwell prints and all the commercials (laughs) and, you know, people stepping into perfect houses with perfect Christmas trees and perfect kids and perfect gifts and all that. And these become the ideas of what life is supposed to be like. And somehow we're failing or falling short if that's not the case. But the reality is we're human. Our lives are not like a a commercial shot, et cetera. Far from it. Yeah. Right. So uh, unexamined. So what should we be doing on a regular basis to examine our thoughts and kind of keep us where, where we're supposed to be mentally? Yeah, this brings us back to the meditation and mindfulness, which is a big part of the work that I do with people. Mm -hmm. And that is to do our absolute best to practice staying in the moment. Mm -hmm. So our minds are usually racing all around, you know, to past holidays, the next day, the next week, what to expect, what to anticipate, et cetera. So we're way ahead of ourselves rather than being right here doing whatever it is we're doing in this moment. So Mm -hmm. if we're shopping for gifts, we're thinking about that whole list that has to be done as Mm -hmm. opposed to, wait a second, I'm standing here looking at this item. What am I seeing, hearing, smelling, thinking, you know, feeling, sensing right now? What's right in front of me and not anywhere else, not past or future. Mm -hmm. And we can reduce the stress by being where we are in a given moment. Now that takes practice, of course, because the mind likes to race here, there and everywhere. Yeah. But if we can set ourselves in the moment, we find that stress does decline. Um, Other things that we can do to be really helpful to ourselves is to be conscious, aware, mindfully aware of the expectations we're setting for ourselves and to hear those thoughts. Yeah about what we should be doing, how we should be looking, who, you know, other people will think of our party or our gifts, et cetera, et cetera. And then to check in with the body is, well, when this, these thoughts are going on, what's happening in the body? Whoa, there's a lot of stress here. Yeah. So if I pull it back and I go, okay, so these are just expectations. Mm-hmm. What's realistic? Can we take a look at that? And probably one of the biggest ones is the discrepancy between 
who we think we should be, what we might call our ideal self or yeah. ego ideal, mm-hmm. and the reality of ourselves and our lives, and to live within that reality, not the pressure that comes from this sense of the ideal or the image of the ideal. And the larger that discrepancy, the more stress we experience. That's right. And that's something that we talk about quite a bit. um, And I talk about with uh, patients all the time. And that kind of segues to the, uh, what we really want to talk about, because enough with the holidays, holidays are over now, you know, well, when this goes on, Um, let's talk about this idea of new year's resolutions and the expectations that we're setting for ourselves and how to best do our new year's resolution um, in 2020 to kind of get over the obstacles and hurdles that we kind of throw up for ourselves. So, you know, expectations, that seems to be the the bigger problem here with, with this. Actually, you know what, I'm going to take that, that a step back. When we were talking just the other day, you said, you know, as a professional meditation, mindfulness counselor, as a professional um, human behavior specialist, you say that dietary changes are one of the hardest things to do with people besides obviously the, the, you know, trauma and stuff like that. But like, you know, for, for the, for the low hanging fruit, it's very difficult to do. So what about nutrition and diet is so complicated, even for somebody who's like a Jedi, like yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, the deal is we start eating the day we're born. Mm -hmm. So our food patterns and preferences get set up as we go through childhood, Mm -hmm. depending on the family we were born in, whatever it may be. Some people are born into families that are super health conscious in the moment the kid can get out of the house and with a little money in his pocket, (laughs) we'll go out and buy junk food, you Mm -hmm. know, um, because of the pressure to adhere so closely to a rigid diet. Other people grow up in families that don't eat well, nutritiously, eat large quantities of foods that we know are not good for us, you know, high fat, salt, sugar, etc. So these patterns are set early, the body gets used to them, the brain gets used to them, we set up cravings, etc. Comfort foods, because there's a strong emotional connection between food and um, emotions, and you know, the whole concept of food is love. So here we go into adulthood, And if we follow a certain path, we end up gaining weight. It's just the nature of things. So to address that, we have to be realistic about change. And I say to my patients, the problem with diets and why they don't work in the long run is if you're going on a diet, the absolute other end of that is at some point you're going to go off a diet. So so diets are... What people want to do in order to lose weight really quickly, and the whole diet industry is oriented to how many pounds you're going to lose in the first week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, changing eating patterns is a long-term project mm-hmm. and has to be done in small and meaningful steps. So when I work with people about changing you know, their lifestyle towards a healthy direction, and that includes exercise, et cetera, meditation, you know, we talk about this is, you know, we're looking at months, a year, maybe a year and a half, but making slow and steady progress. So we want to choose changes that actually make sense. Let's talk about eating, for example. So what I suggest to people is we're not going to talk about a diet and suddenly you're going to become, you know, Svelte. Mr. or Miss Vegan and, you know, <laughs> vegan, that's the word, and, and lose, you know, lose all that weight. But you may have a goal mm-hmm. in the long run that you'd like to eat more vegetarian 
foods, etc. Yeah. But, you know, people say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to change it all and they'll do it for two or three days. And then, of course, that's just way too much for the human being to do. Yeah. And you're, it, it, the common thing is for people to regress back to their habitual patterns because it's just too much stress and strain. Or alternatively with diets, you know, there's a million of research articles that show us with diet, people do lose weight on diets, but over 90 some percent of them regain the weight because they go back to habitual patterns. So it's about changing habitual patterns. So the first thing I suggest to people is this, eat what you're normally eating, but at every meal, leave a forkful, a spoonful of whatever it is you're eating on the plate or when you serve yourself, put that amount back into the bowl and do that consistently every single meal with whatever you're eating. And people say, well, that's not going to help. And I go, yes, it will. Because if you think about how many calories are in a reasonable size forkful or spoonful of food, and you're leaving it behind with every single thing you're eating, you start to reduce your caloric intake. Mm -hmm. And also you start working towards the goal of eating slightly less Mm -hmm. of what your habitual foods are. So we're not even talking about changing foods, just talking about changing behavior. And then over time, as they start to get that down, then the next step is to leave maybe two forkfuls or spoonfuls behind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're looking at portion management to begin with, no matter what it is that they're eating. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that whenever we talk about nutrition with everybody, everybody doesn't like coming to me for nutrition. Cause I'm just, you know, I just same. you're not going to change everything tomorrow. And anybody that says you can is, is lying to you. And, um, it's, it's all about that slow change. So what we talk about first and foremost is redefining what makes a food healthy and what, what doesn't. But yeah, the second thing is about what does a healthy meal look like? What does a healthy day look like? Meals and snacks, smaller scale, portion control, you know? And and I tell people that we don't even talk about calories. We don't even talk about any of the goals or numbers or anything like that. It's literally just eat what you eat, but just try to structure it a little bit differently so you're getting proteins, fats, and complex carbohydrates every time you eat. And then after 21 days, when the habit is kind of stuck, then we can start to move on to the next piece of the puzzle. But nobody cares. <laughs> Everybody wants to get that quick burn. So what is it about it? What is it about this that, I mean, I'm 40, right? And there's been 10 fad diets in my professional career, which is like one every year, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm practicing for 15 years now. What is it that is so attractive, but then like, why do people just completely put the blinders on the fact that this is again, another fad diet. If, if the last one worked, then why would we need this one? You know? So, (laughs) so like, what is it about it? Like why, why, why do we keep repeating these same Mm. habits? Yeah. Because, uh, change requires effort Mm -hmm. and, um, effort is therefore of course difficult. It requires commitment and discipline and perseverance. So if someone tells us, hey, just do this and it will work, mm-hmm. and it's not going to take much effort, you only have to do it for a couple of weeks or mm-hmm. something of that nature, great, I'd rather do that than have to work on this for the rest of my life. Right. And once again, it will work temporarily, and that's the key. Yeah. It's not long-term. So when I work with people around this, we talk about realistic change and how they have ever learned to do anything important in their life. 
They didn't get in a car when they got there, a learner's permit, and suddenly take off and know how to drive automatically. Mm -hmm. It took time. It took effort. It took a lot of focus. It took a lot of concentration. It took a parent screaming at them in the driver's seat, or just screaming, excuse me, in the passenger's seat, (laughs) just screaming. Um, But over time, the skills were acquired to the point where most people now drive and don't even pay attention to what they're doing, and thankfully, they still survive. No, they text (laughs) And and they happen to be driving a car. (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, we're spaced out. We go, where am I? You know, but somebody's been driving. Yeah. So it becomes habitual, Mm -hmm. right? And we just are able to do that. We can brush our teeth without having to think about everything about that. Mm -hmm. And that's with practice over time. Mm -hmm. Same thing is true with these other habits uh, around eating and nutrition. And I talk with people about the concept of the learning curve, you know, which is at the beginning of the learning curve, it's maximum effort with least minimum outcome. Over time, if you stay with it, the effort decreases and the outcome improves. An analogy I often use with people is about if you want to learn how to play the piano, you can't go and take a lesson, not practice during the week, mm-hmm. and then come back and go, this isn't working, I can't play the piano. Yeah. And what happens when we practice a plunk, a plunk, a plunk, because we can't get our fingers where we want them on the right keys with the right pressure and so forth? It's just it's about grooving the nervous system. But if we stay with it over time, if we keep practicing correct behavior, mm-hmm. slowly the nervous system repatterns, and this is what's really critical, and it repatterns into the desired behavior. Same thing with eating, with you know, qu- uh, portion management, type of food, food selection, etc. And then there's another important component, which is all this conditioning I mentioned er- earlier about urges, crave, you know, craving. Um, also, you know, the comfort foods, etc., And working with mindfulness and meditation, people can become aware of having an urge for something or a craving. And instead of giving in and that driving the behavior, what can happen is they just watch it pass through them. Yeah. Right. And then make a healthier and wiser choice. If I may give a quick example from a patient I was just working with yesterday, um, who has done a really great job on this and is now seeing the results of weight loss and improved fitness because of exercise. And she told me she'd gone shopping, right? And she loves dark chocolate, mm-hmm. M&M's. Okay. Oh, she's my girl. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. I said, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and she said, you know, she was in the market and she went by the candy aisle, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And there they were. Mm-hmm. And she actually practiced this. She just watched what happened with this, the thoughts, oh, I could have those, the mm-hmm. urges in her body, allowed it to pass through like a wave passing, you know, and then breaking on the beach and walked past them. Then she went into another store. Lo and behold, there they were again, yeah. right? Same process. And then her mind did this. She said, well, you could have, and it was one of these energy bars that are a kind bar. Yeah. You know, but it's got chocolate and it's got this and yeah. it's got that. And, More you know, chemicals in the right? <laughs> And she, you know, but her mind was going, but it's really an energy bar. It's good for you. <laughs> and for, to her credit, she was able to watch that too. And then her mind went to, after all this passed, at home, I've made some chicken breasts and vegetables. I can have those when I go home. That has protein in them, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what she did. It's a perfect example. Now, this is a person who I've been working with for, you know, close to two years on this. 
She's gotten to this point through commitment, perseverance, practice. Yeah. Right? Discipline. And it's a perfect example of where one can get to, and she's getting the results. So if we make a New Year's resolution, you know, we laugh at the gym I go to. You know, the first two weeks of January, yeah. everybody's in there. Can't and get by the end of January, every, yeah. only the people who go regularly are back in there. Yeah. So we have to really have that long-term view. Right. And so first off, kudos to her because I, I just let that urge hit me and then slap me around. And then right. I just grab all of the bags of M&Ms. And I actually, <laughs> we just had dark M&Ms and meltaways. It was, it was a mess. <laughs> like it's the holidays, you know? So, right. um, right. Exactly. We the, give ourselves permission. We give ourselves permission to do it and whatever. So the, um, the, the thesis here though, you know, the reason that I had you on is to talk about the idea here that, I think diet should be a secondary New Year's resolution, and we really need to stop putting that at the forefront. You're like, I think the the thing that we need to work on is mental health, right? I think mental health should be our New Year's resolution. Practicing the stuff that you're talking about, and when we talk to our patients, we are constantly saying your advice. What is it that you're practicing? So when you are being anxious and you are um, having depressive thoughts. What are you practicing? You're practicing feeding into this kind of cycle instead Absolutely. of practicing wash, letting that urge wash away to, to dive into those thoughts. And uh, when it comes to nutrition, we have six, maybe seven times a day that most people are eating, you know, meals and snacks. And we can practice making a good choice, one choice at a time, right? And after a week or two, we've noticed that that's who we are. We've now, we've set that intention and, and this is the actions that we're taking. So I, and you know, when it comes to mental health, we have a lot more than eight choices a day. <laughs> there's a, a moment yeah. is about a three to six second cycle. So there's a yeah. few of those during the day. So, you know, it, you have a lot more opportunity to practice, I would say. So so if we're going to, instead of focusing on nutrition and diet, which is a part of this whole thing, and we were to focus on mental health, how do we get started with that if we don't have somebody like you in our lives that we can go to and, and learn from the ways of the force? Mm, great question. So yeah, we get better at whatever we practice, whether mm -hmm. we want to or not. And right. whatever the patterns that get set up in terms of the thoughts and the emotional patterns of our upbringing get stuck in us and they will just persist and we'll keep practicing them and they get stronger. You yeah. know, once again, going back to that nervous system patterning mm -hmm. until we start to pay attention to them. So the first step is to just develop awareness, the ability to hear the inside of your head without either assuming that's who you are yeah. um, or that it's valid. Yeah. You know, that these thoughts are actually a valid representation of reality. Right. I always like to teach people about the the speaker and the listener. I know there's another level. I'm not mm -hmm. going to get into that craziness. But, you know, the idea that I'm here flapping my mouth and you in listener land is that are out there listening. But if you said to yourself, hello, you'll notice, you know, say it in your head, you'll notice that there's somebody that's talking and then you hear, you actually hear those words. And so I tell people, those are two separate entities. The, the talker is like a clump of cells, mm -hmm. just like the clump of cells that makes your diaphragm move and your eyes blink and such. And, right. and then it's just, its role is to assign words to stuff. And it's a jerk. We talked about this, right? The crazy person in your head <laughs> when we did our right. first conversation and, and, and it's just 
you know, separating the two. It's kind of like just putting them in two different corners and then realizing that that, that clump of cells is, is just there to talk smack, it feels. <laughs> Probably an evolutionary thing, you know? Like, yeah, it, just came, it just came with the development of language. Right. You know, and so the thoughts get produced inside our head as well as out of our mouths. Right. And unfortunately, we listen. Yeah. We think that there's really something real going on there that we should be paying attention to. Yeah. Um, and the problem is not so much. I mean, we wouldn't talk to anybody else the way we talk to ourselves, <laughs> you know, or maybe we would, but you know, let's hope not. Yeah. Uh, but we'll put ourselves down and we'll attack ourselves. And, you know, we think our mind is our friend. Our mind, you know, tells us to do all kinds of things that aren't good for us. Yeah. Go ahead and get those M&Ms. Right? Crazy stuff. Crazy yeah. stuff. Well, actually, I'm a big fan. Of, if you haven't uh, heard, told, you know, if I haven't told you this before, Bill Burr is my favorite comedian. Uh -huh. and he was talking about, he's like, I think it's normal for people to have suicidal thoughts. It's a messed up thing, but people, it's a normal process. He's like, the thing is, I always have suicidal thoughts about dumb stuff. And <laughs> he talks about like, he's like, you know, the big things I don't really care about, but it's like, uh, I got told that I had to make a pie for Thanksgiving. And it's like, you know what? I just want to end it all. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And he's like, why do we talk to ourselves like that? Why do we, why do we like the idea that our brain is like, I don't want to exist anymore. You know, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's the extreme example of right? it, of course. How but crazy is that? It's an, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And so therefore that's a, that's a, a, you know, it's funny when he does it, of course, it's a very serious example mm -hmm. of how dangerous, how absolutely dangerous it can be to take our thoughts seriously because they can drive us to, you know, poor, poor habits and behaviors and they can drive us to self-destruction. Yeah. Right. So to go back to the point without worrying about how we got here mm -hmm. is, can we start to really develop awareness, just sitting back and listening and going, these are just thoughts. This is not me. This is not a real person. This is not something I should be listening to. Can I just sit back and hear this in the same way that people are listening to us right now mm -hmm. and just kind of paying attention and, and i know a lot of times thoughts will go through my mind and i'll go wow that's really weird <laughs> or that's really bad mm -hmm. or if that was really me i'd be really upset <laughs> yeah <right? laughs> you know and i have no idea why my brain bothers to do any of this mm -hmm. i just watch my brain doing it mm -hmm. you know and it can be entertaining at times mm -hmm. so first of all just separating and stepping back and listening to the thoughts and creating that separation so Mindfulness practices and meditation are helpful for creating that separation. Yeah. Uh, the ability just to simply be aware and observed and to be less affected because over time, if we practice that, we become less affected by what the thoughts are doing. And we start to inhabit our real or authentic self more. And what I mean by that is we start to pay attention to our actual moment to moment experience what is being felt and experienced at this moment so rather than thinking about something i actually pay attention to is this pleasant or unpleasant right yeah here's a weird example but i use it because people could really relate like to weird. it okay weird is good right <laughs> yeah so you know it's like you have to go to the bathroom your body knows you have to go to the bathroom and yeah. your brain's going, no, you don't have to go right now. <laughs> now you can wait. What, you know, go ahead, just wait for a little while. You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, what is that about? Right. And, and here's the difference. Do we get up and go to the bathroom because the body says, I need to go to the bathroom right now. Or do we listen to the mind and we sit there and that can actually cause health problems for people yeah. by retaining. And know, problems for your couch. Too. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> right. And, 
if we can learn to shift away from listening to the mind telling us what to do mm-hmm. and being more attentive to the body, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't mean that we don't use conscious choice and decision-making. For example, sometimes my body might react to somebody cutting me off in traffic and I want to slam my foot down on the gas yes. and smash into that jerk's you know, trunk, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Not Especially such if it's a, a Prius. Yeah, that's such a good <laughs> idea, right? And so, so I can watch that reaction happen in my body mm-hmm. and after it passes through, make a conscious, more skillful choice, mm-hmm. right? I can watch the thoughts pass through and then make a conscious, more skillful choice. So what does that mean? It means that there is actually a part of the brain that takes in all the information and doesn't operate on conditioning and actually can, I'm saying actually a lot, can mm-hmm. then make a decision that is a wiser, more skillful decision. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I work on with people a lot is what in this moment do you need to take be- the best care of yourself? Mm-hmm. We're not used to doing that. We're used to taking care of other people, da, da, da. But on our own needs, what do I need in this moment to take the best care of myself? Do I need to eat all of those Christmas cookies? Kind of. Yeah. That's, that, that's will the that best take care the, for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but will that take the best care for myself? Or maybe I could have half a cookie to taste it and, and mindfully eat that cookie and really enjoy the taste of it. And no, I just did something to take better care of myself mm-hmm. because I didn't eat half a platter of cookies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I might go, whoa, there's a fruit bowl over there and mm-hmm. it's not wax and I can eat that. <laughs> Remember wax fruit? So, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, it's an interesting thing in America, right? We have wax fruit, not real fruit. Right? Right. Well, it, I mean, it's practically the same thing. Anyway. It's practically the same <laughs> thing, right. You know, uh, and make a healthier choice for ourselves. Yeah. So if we keep working on that, and I once had a meditation teacher give a beautiful talk on how to take care of ourselves. And what she said was, can we treat our own selves, our own bodies, in the same way that a loving mother would take care for her child? Hopefully, mothers aren't saying, I think you should smoke, drink, mm-hmm. overeat, never exercise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a loving mother is going to want to say, here, right. here, mm-hmm. this is really what's good for you, body. Right. right? And to practice that to where we bring that into into our daily lives. Yeah, when I had my darkest, most stressful times, I think that was the big breakthrough for me is like, be a better friend to yourself. Mm. I, if, I, if my friend was going through it, of course I wouldn't say any of the stuff that I would say. I would have much more uplifting things, but I'm just beating myself up. And another example is like, what would your dog say to you? <laughs> <laughs> right. The dog is the most zen being on the planet, it feels. Absolutely, like, you know? yeah. They're the perfect Buddhas. They're totally in the moment. Yeah. You know, are we going to eat now? Are we going to go out now? Hi, I'm <laughs> glad to see you. Right? You know, and they're just totally present. Mm-hmm. And this actually brings up another area, which is the whole thing about self-forgiveness and self-compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, I often hear my patients when we work on this say, oh, I can do that for other people, but yeah. I can't do it for myself. I can be really sympathetic, compassionate, et cetera, for other people, and I beat the hell out of myself. Myself, myself, mm-hmm. myself. Well, maybe, self, yeah, yeah, maybe that's uh, right. If you watch Mr. Robot, yes, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. So, consequently, um, can we bring that same practice to ourselves, which is once again realistic expectations? We're only human. Um, can we work on forgiving ourselves for the mistakes that we've made? Can we bring compassion? 
which is sympathy for our own difficulties and suffering, to ourselves and saying, you know, this is really hard. Mm-hmm. Instead of, oh, look, you screwed up again, you failed again because you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't expect anybody else to be perfect, mm-hmm. but I am supposed to be perfect. Not so much, right? right? And so actually being much gentler with ourselves mm-hmm. while we work to move forward, progress, and evolve. Right. But not in a single leap. Right. And so this is mindfulness. And I like to reteach people what they know about meditation. Because mm-hmm. when I talk to people about meditation, they think that they have to do the chanting, they have to be in that position, <laughs> or they're using headspace. And, and like the apps and such, I feel, are great. And there's a lot of stuff you can find online. But those are more, I guess, like calming. And they're not really meditative practices because I believe meditation is a, a, a single act. A lot of people think that you need to clear your mind. So do you want to kind of talk to people about what meditation is in the simplest form? Yeah, I'm going to keep this really simple. Mm-hmm. Meditation is the practice of holding attention on an object. The object mm-hmm. can be a mental object like a mantra. Um, it can be a physical object like looking at a candle or a flower. Um, it, or it can be a bodily object like our breath. And the meditation I work with people is just focus attention on the breath. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing is practicing holding attention in this moment because the breath is the here and now. Mm -hmm. And so what does it mean? It means finding a comfortable place to sit, you know, a chair, if you like sitting on meditation cushions, fine, but there's nothing special about the cushions or the postures or any of those things. So sit comfortably, get settled, hopefully without too much distraction going on around. Don't do this in traffic. (laughs) Bring attention to the breath. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's very natural is the mind wanders. People think, oh, I'm doing it wrong if my mind's wandering. Mm -hmm. You know, meaning attention is now caught up in the flow of the mind. I'm not doing anything wrong. This is part of meditation. Mm -hmm. Why? Because when attention wanders, we have the opportunity to practice waking up. Oh, where'd the breath go? I just woke up to the present moment. Where's my breath? And then the third phase is to begin again, just simply without judgment, gently bring attention back to the breath. So those three phases, attention, wandering and waking up, begin again. Mm -hmm. Over and over and over and over again. And as we practice that, what happens is the repattering of the nervous system to where we get better and better and better of holding our attention in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And in holding our attention in the present moment, all the other stuff that's going on around us and within us, we can be aware of, that's mindfulness, the open awareness of everything that's occurring in the moment, including the thoughts, while we're just sitting, holding attention, oh, I'm washing the dishes, look at the bubbles in the sink and how my hands move and, you know, the water, the sound of the water and the smell of you know, the fragrance of the dish soap, etc., And just being in that moment. And that, it leads us to that practice. People get very confused. People come to me and they say, I'm doing it wrong. You know, my mind is wandering and so forth. There's no wrong or right. It's just a practice. People say to me, well, you know, what's the purpose? What am I supposed to get at? Aren't I supposed to be <laughs> like all, <laughs> all, all Zen and enlightened? Well, you know, if you get enlightened, wonderful. But that's not what we're working with. Uh, that's a whole other story, you know, and also, you know, uh, people, you know, when I talk to people say, okay, well, I'm going to meditate every day. And I go, not so quickly. How about if we just start, can you commit to meditating for five minutes one day this week? If you meditate more, fine. You know, because what happens 
this goes back to our New Year's resolution gig, right? Yep. So what happens is I've got to do this every day. And of course, the moment we don't, the mind jumps in. So see, you screwed it up again. Yep. You're no good. You can't do it right. Don't bother. Just go back to the old patterns. Da, 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 blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Right? As opposed to if we start off with something small and doable and build on that, mm -hmm. we're going to have success in the long run. Right. And I think it's very important for people to hear that you're the talker, that clump of cells, is supposed to start running its mouth the minute it gets quiet. <laughs> like that's literally what it's programmed to do is to fill in, you know, consciousness with a story. And so it's us just kind of saying, all right, there he is again. And then, or she, and then going back to, um, you know, your breath and focusing your attention. Absolutely. And, yeah. And so you're never going to clear your mind. And this kind of gets into like some heavier stuff, the idea of the quiet, you know, mm. for people, mm -hmm. uh, when it talk, when you talk about any like addictions, mm. um, I feel, I feel that it's, it's the quiet that, and they're just trying to quiet the talker with whatever they can, um, be it food, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever. Um, and it's always worse at night for people that, you know, I hear yep. that quite a lot, you know, so, uh, because there's nobody around to distract them from the talker. Absolutely. So, you know, thoughts connect to emotions in the body. Mm -hmm. and emotions stimulate thoughts. It's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. So when we're working to observe and recognize them, we're creating this kind of positive distance uh, from those to see them what they are, see and hear them for what they are. Hearing the thoughts, and they become sort of like a radio playing in the background as opposed to directing our lives. Yeah. Or the sensations in our body, the feelings like, I feel really bad, and I want to use whatever my favorite activity or substance is to alter this feeling. But what if I just sit here and break this down into sensations? What am I, I'm saying I'm really feeling anxious or depressed. Well, what are the sensations? And can I move those in some direction? Can I soften them? Can I breathe into them? Because what does that mean? It means these are in the body. If I can alter the body in a positive direction, releasing that anxiety, slowing my heart rate down, slowing the butterflies down in my stomach, releasing the tension in my muscles, I'm now reducing, repattering the nervous system and practicing something new, mm -hmm. moving towards, and it may take months or years, yeah. for calmness. This is a lifelong project. Yeah. You know? We just, just like keep with working with it. right? And just like everything else, what you are, what you practice. Absolutely. And this is a moment. This is an opportunity for you to practice. You know, my kids yelling at each other so I could practice taking a breath and being skillful or I can go, Bleh! you know, and exactly. like I do. So all of those are opportunities to practice. So um, I think, you know, because we want to give people tools for their toolbox. Hopefully now they know what meditation is and know how to do it. And they know that they don't have to spend $100. You can literally just sit and do it. Focus on the feeling of the breath moving back and forth on your nose or, or you know, in your lungs or, or right. whatever. And as soon as your mind starts wandering, say, oh, there it goes again. No big deal. And then go right back, back and forth. What I find, <laughs> you know, it's funny because we're talking about beating ourselves up. But it's like I'm when I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, I'm doing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, know, you start celebrating and it's like that too you have to quiet that voice as yeah, well the, like, my, the my comments i'm really good at this I'm like no no that's not what the point of this just another thought it's just another thought right just right. All right, bring it back but so we're giving them th those tools meditation mindfulness 
what if you're in the middle of a cycle? What if you're in the middle of this, like you're, you're, I call it the vortex, you know, your, mm. your thoughts are pulling you down because right. that's really what, what happens. It's not just this benign thought that, that you're like, oh, that's making me anxious. Mm-hmm. It's that thought then creates the feelings, which creates more thoughts. And then it just kind of pulls you down into this horrible, dark place. Yeah. And, and I, the analogy I used to use when we, we first started talking was, it's like, I feel like I'm a, I'm, there's this merry-go-round that's spinning way too fast. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of like float towards it to like a moth to a flame, you know? Right. And then I grab on and it's just slamming me around. And I realize I'm the one that's holding on. Right. Mm. And so it's like, you have to like, let go of that and stay away from the merry-go-round instead of just being attracted to it and walking to it. Every time you, uh, you, you, you feel that, that pattern emerging. So, you're in the middle of this. How do you let go? I mean, I like the four, two, six breathing mm-hmm. pattern. I don't know if that's something that you can get down. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So first of all, uh, we can all get caught up in the, in the vortex and some of us more than others, mm-hmm. depending on what our early experiences were and how long we've been practicing the negative patterns. And so no blame, no judgment. It's just the way that we learn. And um, it's really helpful to have somebody as a guide so um, if you want to practice meditation, work with a meditation teacher, work with a therapist or work with a therapist who uses meditation in mindfulness. Um, but to intervene when one is really caught up, right? Um, I like to use this phrase about if you practice survival training for the outdoors, you know, one of the first things that people are taught is when lost, sit down. Mm-hmm. So just stop. Don't race about because if you're in the woods and you're racing about you can injure yourself go over ravine or whatever so you need to sit down and what does it mean you need to think about what's going on and what do you need to do to survive okay need shelter i need warmth right so same thing here is just sit down trying not to panic you mentioned the 426 breathing which is a way to reduce that awful arousal and calm the body Distinction between mind and body. People are, try to argue with their thoughts. It doesn't work. You know, your thoughts will beat you out every time. You know, your thoughts are saying you're the worst person on the face of the earth. And then you try to say, oh, no, I'm not. And it goes, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to give you lots of examples about why you are. Remember in third but, grade? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but the easiest thing, there, the easier thing to do is to go to the body. Because we have more influence over what's happening in the body. Four, two, six breathing, and there are a lot of different breathing patterns, refers to... Breathing in four beats, holding the breath for two beats, and then breathing out slowly for six beats. Okay. And it's a way to get control over what's happening in the body, but control in a positive way. This type of breathing brings in a part of the nervous system called parasympathetic, which is the the part of the nervous system that slows everything down mm-hmm. in contrast to the sympathetic arousal. So consequently using 426 breathing. So sit down, lie down, get as quiet as possible, and then begin to use the breathing. And if you've been practicing meditation, then it's easier to start shifting attention just to stay with the breath and just allow whatever's happening to happen while working to calm the body. Once again, because it's a two-way street, as the body gets calmer, the mind can begin to slow down, meaning less chatter, et cetera. Yeah, and soon you can start to see how all of this stuff falls into place. You know, mm-hmm. a regular meditative practice, being more mindful, and 
using these kinds of things to abort the sequence that's kind of going wild, right? All of this goes together. And back to the original conversation, which is the expectations that we set for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when we set New Year's resolutions, we often are too aggressive with our expectations. Um, so let's talk about the idea of attachment, mm. you know, because that is a mental health type thing and that fits very well into your, into your whole wheelhouse. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to do this, but that's another thing to say, if I don't, you know, uh, and that attachment to the idea that it has to happen that way versus what you've taught me to be like a curiosity. Mm -hmm. So go do your do your buddhist stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah attachment's a broad subject but basically what we're talking about is as you just suggested the mind latching onto something as an absolute mm -hmm. and everything keeps changing and if we can recognize that these so-called absolutes are just ways of thinking about thinking right Oh, I must be this, I must do this, I must do it this way. If I don't do it this way, it won't be right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or if I only have this, if I can only do that, if I can only have this person be in love with me, you know, then I'll be okay. Well, let's just bypass all of that. Let go of that. Letting go, by the way, people say, oh, you need to let go. Let go is a practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it means being aware of the thoughts and feelings that comprise being really strongly attached or connected to something and how do we relax our way out of that and once we're able to do that we gain flexibility and flexibility mental flexibility is one of the cornerstones of mental health rigidity locked on to something i.e strongly attached to something creates a lot of problems for ourselves. in the moment we get rigid we can't see options choices alternatives better, healthier, more skillful ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. When we're flexible, when something changes, we go with it mm -hmm. instead of reacting to it and trying to hold on to it and being upset because it's not this way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, we got to go flow with this. Mm -hmm. An example, and I think I've used this example with you, is you know, you're waiting for a plane. Yes. The plane, <laughs> it gets announced. Mm -hmm. You know, The plane's going to be delayed. And, you know, everybody freaks out like it's the end of the earth. They do. You know, and cell phones come flying out and so forth and so on. And people are really upset. And they're upset at the airline and the people. And It's like stuff happens. Yeah. Can we be flexible and accept in this moment, it's not the way I want it, what I was attached to, that this plane was going to leave exactly at that minute and allow change to take place. Well, it may be an inconvenience or whatever. I'll have to deal with that. But now I can move on to how do I deal with the problem that I might be late at my next destination right. as opposed to carrying on like a crazy person in the terminal. Right. What is carrying on like a crazy person going to do to change the situation except Nothing. for exhaust energy and put you into the vortex? Right. You know, instead of saying, oh, there it is. Again, again, this sounds like an, an awakening, if anything, right? Yes. You're right. feeling that rise up and you say, oh, Okay, this is the reality. Let's focus our breath back to the moment. And then, okay, how do we handle this? Mm -hmm. And so we had talked about the idea of the ego ideal. You know, this is the person that I, I think I am. I am I'm a healthy person, you know, but then all of my decisions are around <laughs> eating McDonald's and M&Ms. And so that the bigger the gap, the more stress that causes and, and, and such. So then attachment is kind of like, if you think about it, 
you're setting a goal, which you should obviously set goals. You shouldn't just kind of like absolutely we have goals and plans, right? But we're attaching to the idea, so it's like we're creating that gap. We're we're making that gap bigger, and then that stress comes because of the attachment and us not uh, arriving. So uh, a curiosity, I, I always love that uh, example. Mm-hmm. So how do we uh, approach a goal? So we have this goal. I'm going to lose weight by the end of the year, right? I want to lose weight. And hopefully we've set a realistic goal of maybe a pound a week, right? That's mm-hmm. a very attainable, uh, easy to accomplish goal. Uh, so then technically by the end of the year, I'd expect to be 30 to 50 pounds down, you know, if that, if we consider this a success. Mm-hmm. And so then what do we do with that? Yeah. So that's a really good point. So yeah, the discrepancy between who we think we should be and who we really are creates an enormous amount of stress. So we can practice moving towards who we would like to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the thing with weight, and nutrition. We, we set a goal, and thank you for bringing that up. A lot of times people say to me, well, you know, if you're practicing mindfulness, you're only in the moment, and, you know, so, you know, what about the rest of your life? Right. No, we'd be foolish not to assume there might be a future yeah. and to plan, etc., but not to be attached to that because things keep changing and to accept that. So with respect to this idea of losing weight, same idea. I say, well, by the end of next year, by the end of 2020, I'd like to be 50 pounds lighter, not 50 pounds lighter in the next three weeks, right? <laughs> right. And so what does that mean? That means, you know, basically a pound a week, which is a very realistic goal. Mm-hmm. So if we accept a realistic goal and we now create a plan for that goal, what changes are necessary? How can we practice those changes that will reduce our weight by a pound a week? Mm-hmm. Now, 50 pounds is a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. So we get to the end of 2020 and we're successful because we've engaged in the practice, changing the habitual patterns of thinking, feeling, acting mm-hmm. associated with eating that now allows us to reduce caloric intake sufficiently to lose a pound a week and we're now 50 pounds lighter by the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. Not so difficult. Only if we're attached to the idea, I need to do this, you know, by the time my sister's wedding Mm -hmm. or I won't fit into my suit or my dress Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be like a crazy person and starve for the next couple of weeks and then gorge at the wedding because that's what will happen. The pendulum will swing back the other way. Right. As opposed to a regular practice. Right. And, And just saying, let's see what happens. You know, I'm oh, going curiosity. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to put this in place. So I, I actually do this thing. I was taught a long time ago from my executive coach is, is that when you have a goal, what you should do is say what five things need to be true for the goal to be true. Mm. So if we say that we want to you know, here's a great example. I'm going to Las Vegas in mid February. So what's that like six weeks out? Right. Mm-hmm. So if I was to have realistic goals. I would say that, okay, I want to lose weight so that way I don't look like a fat old man at the pool in <laughs> Vegas. I can look good around the, the young chicks that are there blowing all their money. And uh, <laughs> the, the realistic side of me would say, though, like, you know, it's about a pound a week is really what we would lose. So, so if I said to myself, I have to lose that weight um, or I have to lose 10 pounds, those are unrealistic expectations to set for myself. Pressure. It would be way too much pressure and I would attach to that idea and there's all that negativity that comes along with it and then the whole experience kind of stinks. But if it w- I could say, 
I would need to lose a pound a week, so six total pounds. So what five things need to be true? So, mm-hmm. you know, I have to make these kinds of decisions. I have to reduce my calories by this much. I have to do this kind of exercise, yada, yada, yada. And that if I make each one of those things true over that six weeks period, six week period, it, you know, it's just a way to fragment mm-hmm. out your goals to make them right. more a- achievable. Um, so, so the idea though is like, all right, well, let's see what happens, you know? And, right. and that brings us back to curiosity. Mm-hmm. So shifting away from attachment mm-hmm. to curiosity. Mm-hmm. So in this example, um, rather than the attachment to the, I must lose six pounds in six weeks, Right, and you know, go crazy trying to do that. Um, we shift to curiosity. Well, if I put these five things into place, these five things that need to happen in order to lose the six pounds, now I can sit back and be curious, not attached, but curious. Well, let me just pay attention to what actually happens when I do this. Well, I feel better because I'm not stuffed from overeating. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, look at that. Um, this week, um, I, I lost a pound. Right. Well, how did I do that? I'm curious. Oh, I, I, I did it by ABCD. Mm-hmm. Oh, so more of that, mm-hmm. more of what's helping me lose the weight and less of what's not. not. So, or conversely, <laughs> wait a minute, I didn't lose any weight this week. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what was the reason not? And oh, because... <laughs> you know, I went out and I ate all this and so forth and so on, mm-hmm. right? And so curiosity also implies non-judgment. Mm-hmm. Not beating oneself up or praising oneself unduly because they're both problems. Yep. Um, so staying away from judgment, which just makes us feel unrealistically good or unrealistically bad but doesn't last. But curiosity is how did this happen and how could I do more of it's moving in my de- me in my desired direction to be the person who I wish to be, right? And less of what doesn't. And it applies to anything. If I want to be a kinder person, I can practice kindness toward myself and others. And I can do that more consistently as opposed to beating myself up because I'm not a kind person to everybody all the time, which, by the way, is also an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great to be a jerk sometimes. <laughs> especially on the internet yeah. it's funny i i uh, just did a post uh here's my top four christmas movies mm. fight me you know that kind of a thing <laughs> and i've been just bashing everybody yep. that's putting up any other idea and that's just a great feeling on sure. facebook to just beat people up it's a wonderful <laughs> life i'm like yeah if you get regular colonoscopies i can understand that that would be a good decision for you but i'm a young man yeah so um so it sounds to me, all of this sounds very reasonable, so nobody's going to do it. Um, but if we were to set um, somebody up for a successful 2020, um, I guess, like, what would the plan be? You know, we want to live a healthier 2020. We've talked about all of these kinds of hangups and good strategies and such. So what are the, the goals? Somebody says they want to be a healthier person next year. What would you tell them? Absolutely. This is a good thing. So um, what I would tell them is, it's not a do-it-yourself project. Okay. You know, um, we, you know, because most people have tried everything already. <laughs> you know, they've been to Weight Watchers and Overeaters Anonymous and they've been on Jenny Craig and they've done all this stuff and come to you and they've taken all the supplements and so forth. It's still not working. Yeah. Right? It, you know, it's really hard. Um, it's like, you know, surgeons don't say, well, I'll just buy the book and practice and I'll become <laughs> a surgeon. You know, it takes years and years and years of practice for them to become a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go to teachers and teachers are really helpful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, teachers come in all stripes, like people talking with you or people going to counselors or therapists or people who dietitians, nutritionists or whatever, and doing it consistently. And sometimes it's really helpful to do it in groups with other people sharing ideas and you get the support, et cetera. You know, and so consequently, um, not trying to figure out how to do it yourself. You know, I, it's like my patients will tell me, oh, I have that book. well if you have that book how come right yeah you know it's always on my shelf uh yeah well i read it 10 years ago yeah um but just reading the book isn't good enough you actually have to do the thing yeah and so having someone who can teach you like the piano teacher encourage you check in did you practice this week i can tell you didn't practice because you know you're not playing it so well right oh well oh you did practice because you did a b c d Mm -hmm. so what i get curious what happened yeah right and so working with someone else is really, really helpful. Um, uh, so we can accomplish some things on our own, but once the pattern's grooved, then we don't need the teacher anymore. Mm-hmm. We know what to do. Yeah. You know, unless you want to be a concert pianist, right. you know, and you practice eight hours a day and still have somebody coach you, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, we can get where it's good enough. Yeah. You know, where, where we've lost that weight, and we can maintain it reasonably well, where we're eating healthier a significant portion of the time, mm-hmm. where we're not reacting by impulse or to our strong emotions, where we're not listening in to all the negative thinking and feeling really bad about ourselves all the time. Yeah, and I would say that the accountability, though, based on human behavior, you know it better than anything else. Even if you put in a good habit and you maintain it, you still may need somebody to help keep you on that path. Mm -hmm. So even if you get the patterns and you're moving and things are going well, and even if it's a year or two, it may be wise like every six months, every quarter to just check in with somebody, just to Mm -hmm. have an accountability partner, you know? Yeah. I think that's really, that's really important. Um, If I may just use a personal example. Mm -hmm. So I've been, you know, practicing meditation and mindfulness for a long time mm-hmm. now. And I still go on, you know, week-long silent retreats where I'm practicing meditation about 13 hours a day. Yikes. Yeah, right. You know, people, mm-hmm. they go silent, you know. <laughs> like, you don't talk to anybody? Mm-hmm. I said only to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get tired of that. <laughs> um, and where the teachers give talks on these areas of practice and uh, how to use these skills to benefit ourselves and others, you know? And so that for me is that idea that you just suggested, you know, which is I go for a boost. Mm-hmm. I go for a check-in. Mm-hmm. I go to reinforce what I'm doing because, you know, it, we talk about it in the, in, in the meditation world about falling off the cushion. And people fall off the cushion and, you know, people can be meditators for decades and then all of a sudden they just stop. Mm -hmm. So this kind of helps us reset, Mm -hmm. recommit, begin again, our practice and use these principles in our daily lives. And so it's not just telling other people, you should do this, you should do that. Hopefully it's leading by example. Right. It is funny how meditation is this, you know, focus and then awakening and then starting again. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, it's, it scales up. It goes from inside of our head to the breath and then it scales up to everything, whether it's patterns of behavior. Like I said, my kids are acting like monsters and I'm like, you know, right. to, you know, just our overall lifestyle 
you know, our habits, the, the big picture items. Oh, I've fallen off the wagon of meditation. I'm going to wake and now I'm going to begin again. Begin no, again. No yeah. judgment. No judgment. Such. Yeah. And so I would say if, if I'm hearing this correctly, because I'm, I'm teaching it mostly too, it, none of this is a secret. None of this is this methodology. None of this is a particular product or a particular diet. All of those things overcomplicate, and they're all derivative of this very basic advice, which is the boring. It's the, <laughs> you know, like we had a, a researcher on and he was telling us, you know, the, the, the complete stories, the, the things that we know as humans are boring because we've heard them so much mm -hmm. and, and, but they, that's the thing that works, you know, and everything else is just little blips and blurbs and we don't really know where it fits into the story, if it even fits in at all. So, you know, reducing all of the complication down to very simplistic terms. So we're going to be setting realistic goals. We're going to start a meditative practice. It would be great if you can get five minutes in once a week at least. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, 15 minutes daily rewires your whole brain after a it few does. weeks, right? Yeah. You know, and it not only rewires the brain, mm -hmm. what's really fascinating, it actually even physically changes the brain. That's crazy. Which is, right, really crazy. What, I'm just sitting here like watching my breath and my brain is changing. And in fact, there's evidence of that from, uh, you know, the functional MRIs. Um, so it it makes a real difference. And, the, and by the way, one doesn't have to, you know, go off to monasteries and do this forever and all those things. It, it, these studies have shown that the changes begin to take place within eight weeks right? for everyday folks. You know, people confuse meditation with a lot of other elements of practice of certain paths, you know, spiritual paths. Um, one can use meditation as a tool um, and it is a valuable tool. It's not the whole picture. And if you want more, you can find more and engage in more. But it is, meditation and mindfulness are valuable tools and they can really be helpful. So just using them to recognize the patterns of our mind and body and our behaviors and see the conditioning versus what is, if we can step outside the conditioning, how we're able to make positive changes instead of being controlled by that conditioning, whether it's conditioned thoughts, conditioned feelings, conditioned behaviors. That's the value. I feel better already. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming back on, Dr. Dresden. You're quite welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Dr. Dresdale, for all that insight. It's always fun, of course, to chat with him and his voice. Very calming. I feel much calmer after talking to him. So I hope no one fell asleep, though, at the wheel. Make sure that you listen to this with a, a cappuccino at hand. I can't stress it enough, a daily meditation practice will change your life. In fact, my blog this week coming out, if you're listening with the current events, the next week's blog will be the 60 minutes that will change your 2020. And uh, meditation practice is part of that little spoiler alert. It's not clearing your mind though. You know, that's the one thing I wanted to make sure that we talked about a lot here was that meditation isn't the idea of sitting there and chanting and then having a completely still clear mind. That's the opposite of what it is. It's really just focusing your attention on a single point. And then when your brain wanders and starts that shatter, it's just recognizing and saying, oh, there it goes again. You don't beat yourself up. You don't judge yourself. And you just say, okay, back to it. You know, it's tough. It's a hard thing to do because our brains are trained all day long to kind of divert into these thought bubbles. Some days it's like wrestling a bear. And some days it comes pretty easy. It may not seem that 
you're doing anything either. When you first start a meditative practice, it doesn't feel like it's helping, but it's literally rewiring your brain as we talked about. So Dr. Dresdale doesn't have anything to promote, but if you're interested in talking to them more or you're looking for a local referral, I would say just give him a call. His phone number is 845-331-2007. And now it's time for our little segment called Neil's Unhealthy Habits. All right. So my unhealthy habits, it's almost too easy to talk about this time of year because literally all of them are unhealthy. I'm staying up way too late. I am sleeping in. I am, you know, dragging my butt on my work. And the big one though, that we'll focus on that has to do with wellness is just this volumes of junk food that I'm eating. It's just a constant exposure to all of it. I'm a bit of a sugar monster as I've talked about before on the podcast. My wife, Erin, makes literally the best cookies on the planet. If we bring them out at a party, they're gone within minutes and and we haven't even eaten like lunch or dinner or whatever we're at the party for. I end up making chocolate and junk food, one of the core food groups, like I'm Buddy the freaking elf, right, from that movie. Around Christmas, we go away and then we end up somewhere where there's like French fries and all the junk food and, you know... I'm just keeping it real with you. My unhealthy habit is I have absolutely no willpower. I give in very quickly and I have lots of motivation and I'm reasonable with discipline, but I completely lack self-control. So between Christmas Eve and New Year's, I was probably over 4,000 calories a day easy, you know, and I work out and everything like that. And I can see the the weight coming right on. I'm sure it'll come right off once I get back on, on the wagon. So I hope that makes you feel better about like your intake. You're like, oh man, I just had a couple extra cookies, you know, in a week and not no, Neil's Neil's crushing it. So here's what I do though, to kind of break this habit. So I have to like shake and cry myself through sugar withdrawal, of course, but you know, I swear off junk food for all but one meal a week. So my normal week cycle involves Friday afternoon, pizza with the family, you know, and like a dessert. That's what I try to stick to. And the rest of the time I'm making the the same decisions that I teach everybody else to make. I think that it's important for you to eat small, frequent meals, rich in proteins, fats, and complex carbohydrates. So I stick to that pretty much. But right now my brain is you know, program to scratch this itch every like 45 or 60 minutes. Like where's the chocolate? Where's the sugar? So my trick is hard boiled eggs. Uh, Hard boiled eggs are rich in fat and rich in protein. I take the shells off, of course, and I eat one like every hour or two. So basically, if I was to say, what's a good healthy breakfast, it would be two eggs and some vegetables. So I just take that healthy breakfast and I stretch it out just a little bit longer because I know that I'm going to have the cravings for the sugar uh, more often than not. So instead of eating something and then three hours later having my snack and then three hours later, I'll just take that breakfast and stretch it and have it like every 45 minutes, some component of it, you know, so I'll have half of an egg and a little bit of vegetables or a whole egg and some vegetables. And then like a little bit later, a little bit more vegetables and a little bit later, I'll have the other egg or the other half or whatever. I'll just stretch it out over that time. So then it's time for a snack and then I'll have a small snack and I'll stretch that out. And it's just kind of retraining my stomach, shrinking the gut down to deal with the the craziness of course water lots and lots of water uh rehydrating from all the effects of caffeine and alcohol from the the season helps out a ton but you know 10 to 20 ounces every hour or so that's pretty much what i try to do and then you know by dinner time i'm kind of resetting back to normal where i can i cannot you know need something every 20 minutes or so it's like an exorcism (laughs) 
So, and I know it really well by now, so I pack lots of snacks. Again, planning your day, very, very important. And almonds, fruit, vegetables, all of that stuff is just a part of my my day. So that's it. So that's my strategy for breaking the cold sweats of coming off sugar. I hope you have a little bit more insight to the unhealthy things that I do. Uh, what's yours? And I want to hear it uh, because if you tell me what your stuff is, I can you know address it here in this little segment. So give me a shout at podcast at woodstockvitamins.com and you know we'll talk back and forth about our unhealthy habits and maybe we'll even feature it on the podcast here. All right, that's going to do it for today. We're not going to overload you with me rambling on about stuff. You know, brand new year, brand new me. So our podcast has got this nice little revamp. I've got a new website where we're going to be putting all the podcast stuff, including my visits to other people's podcasts, because I like to do them, you know, on various topics. So my new website is drneilsmoller.com, D-R-N-E-A-L-S-M-O-L-L-E-R.com. Check it out. It's going to be my new home. That's where I'm going to live. Uh, We'll still have Woodstock Vitamins, of course. That'll be the store. That'll be the blog. But all the new stuff will come from drneilsmoller.com. And so that's it. I think that it was a great season, a great year. I want to thank everybody again. I know we did this in the the recap. And I just look forward to helping everybody over the next year. Any thoughts, questions, concerns, comments, reach out to me, Neil, at WoodstockVitamins.com. And until next time, keep learning, keep listening, and be well. Be well.